0: We invite you today, if you have your Bibles with you, to follow along as I read our gospel lesson from Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 39. The words will also be on the screen if you would like to follow there. Hear God's word to us today. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother in law was in bed with a fever. And they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons... But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This past week, I was out with my running group. We run three or four days a week together, and my friend Norman, whom you've heard me talk about before, the one who catches squirrels in his yards and releases them in Powhatan County, you remember him, if you don't see me after church and I'll talk with you about him and, and let you know more. But he was telling us that he started his master gardener classes this winter. I think he's in his second class. And I says, as we we're running, Norman, uh, what are y'all doing now? Are you learning to prune the crepe myrtles and the roses and so forth? Because usually around this time in February, you, you want to get your crepe myrtles and roses done and some other trimming. And he said, oh, no. Oh, no. Very boldly, he says... We start with soil. you got to get the soil right before you can grow anything to prune. Today we're starting with the soil. The soil, for us Christians, is prayer. I am convinced that all of the Christian life centers on our prayer life. The soil of the garden of our souls. Verse 35 of today's passage is where we are focusing, and it's where Jesus got up early in the morning and went to a solitary place and prayed. Remember that Jesus was in Capernaum with his four four disciples. He had called by the sea and performed healings and cast out demons. They arrived at the home of Peter, this newly called disciple. His wife's mother was severely ill, deathly ill, and as you've heard already in the text jesus healed her many more people came to jesus to be healed in the evening time the whole city shows up at the door of the house i can just imagine what that would have looked like jesus was probably physically exhausted morning came and jesus arose before anyone else and withdrew to a solitary place to pray and those who were with him went after him and they found him alone in prayer. Author Ruth Haley Barton, a writer of Sacred Rhythms, defines prayer as, quote, all the ways in which we communicate and commune with God. All the ways in which we communicate and commune with God. She continues, the fundamental purpose of prayer is to deepen our intimacy with God. Jesus knew this at his very core. Prayer was the soil of the garden of Jesus' soul. Prayer, if you're taking notes, prayer was essential to Jesus and his ministry. He would routinely withdraw and be by himself and pray. We find that prayer and Jesus' purpose are inextricably linked. We cannot separate Jesus' prayer life from His ministry and His purpose. He says, I have come to preach. His purpose is very clear. Consider some other examples. If you study the New Testament, there are a number of passages where we find Jesus withdrawing to prayer. Just a few I'll share with you. In Matthew 4, he inaugurated his ministry by spending 40 days alone in the desert, praying and fasting. And you've already heard, after a long night of healing and casting out demons, he rose early and went to a solitary place to pray. And at the end of his life, Matthew 26 says, as he prepared for his Highest and most holy work, he sought solitude in the prayer of the gar- in the Garden of Gethsemane for prayer. And the writer of Hebrews in the fifth chapter seven through nine verses says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission, although he was a son. The writer says, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. We could go on, but the point is very clear that Jesus was a man who longed to pray. He modeled a constant, close, prayerful walk with God. The way of prayer was at the very center of his teachings. But many of us Christians, although we know this and we read this, we struggle with prayer. I know I do. We might say, easy for you, Jesus. After all, you're God. We aren't. And we often struggle with prayer. We would would say, not so easy for us, Jesus. We would say consistent, constant prayer is hard work. I believe you'd agree with me. It's hard work. The founder of Methodism, John Wesley, wrote of prayer. He said, whether you like it or not, read and pray daily, implying that it's hard work. It's for your life. There is no other way. There is no other way. And he's speaking of reading the Bible and praying daily for your life. It's not an easy task. In fact, Philip Yancey has written a book called Prayer, and he says, prayer is often confusing and fraught with frustration. He writes, My publisher conducted a survey, a website poll, of 678 respondents. Only 23 felt satisfied with their prayer life. That very discrepancy, Yancey writes, made me want to write a book on prayer. Some of us, like me, get busy, we lose focus, some of us um, maybe we feel like we've got a pretty good head on our shoulders, and we don't really need to pray about stuff because we can figure it out on our own. Some of us have a hard time praying for our daily bread because our pantry's full, and we may we just maybe we feel guilty about that or we feel like we don't need to, and then some of us just. Maybe we just never learned how to pray. We just don't know. Whatever it is, prayer is the place where God and human beings meet. We know that, and prayer is necessary, but it is hard work. we got to start somewhere, and often when we do pray, we are the ones who are changed. So if the, prayer, if the work of prayer is hard work, then the fruit of prayer is a spirit of holy expectancy. When we work hard at prayer, the fruit that comes is this sense of holy expectancy. That's where we start to imitate Jesus. We seek to imitate Him in every aspect of our life. And we seek to meet Him in the ordinary and mundane places that all of life can become a holy occurrence This is what we call holy expectancy, where I'm looking for God to show up in the ordinary and mundane places of life. When we are so dialed into the life of Jesus that we are able to see all of life as worship of the living God. This way of life received a practical name from a little-known monk in France named Brother Lawrence. You've probably heard of him. I know I've mentioned him in the pulpit before. And he called it Practicing the Presence of God. There's a little book that Dr. Glenn Henson used back in seminary in spirituality class uh, with that name that Brother Lawrence wrote, Practice of the Presence of God. Practicing the Presence of God. This is where the mundane and ordinary things in life help us to have a spirit of holy expectancy where we're looking for God to show up all the time. Brother Lawrence was born in 1611 in France and grew up and served as a soldier in the Thirty Years' War, but later became a servant, no formal education, and then joined a Carmelite order of monks in Paris, and his job was to wash dishes at the monastery. He prayed to to God in this way, Lord of all pots and pans and things. He felt most close to God when his hands were in the dishwater. He said, it is enough for me to pick up but a straw from the ground for the love of God. He said, I began to live as if there were no one save but God and me in the world. Together, God and Brother Lawrence cooked meals, ran errands, scrubbed pots, and endured the scorn of the world. Because Brother Lawrence's life was transformed into a life of worship, there was no distinction between his daily religious practices and his everyday life. They were woven together as one. He practiced the habitual presence of God. Brother Lawrence did what Jesus did. And we seek to do the same. It's a lifelong practice and no human being has ever attained it except Jesus Christ. But this is the life we seek to seek this fruit of holy expectancy. The question is, how might life look different through the lenses of holy expectancy? How might life look different when I'm looking differently? Does that make sense? How might life look different when I'm looking differently, when I am looking to experience God. Can you imagine how things might change in this world or in our lives if we expected God to show up anywhere, anytime? What if we really lived it? What if we really lived what we believed? What if we really expected God to show up and do incredible things even in the mundane and the ordinary and in the routine? How might that change us? I I hope that I would look differently, that my perspective would change because I'm expecting God to show up. And I hope that life would look different because I prayed because we prayed out of faithfulness and obedience to God. How would I look at myself differently? How would I prioritize differently? How would I engage in relationships differently? Myself and my priorities, my relationships. How might I view my vocation, my career, what I do differently if God is there and if God shows up in my everyday work? What about my calling in the church and in the community? How might I look at at that differently and expecting different results. This past week, God showed up and taught me to look for Him in the ordinary and in the mundane places. Often text church members when they're going to surgery or if they're homesick or things like that. And our church has a an app that we have on our phones called church life and you can if you have church life on your phone you can go in and you can look somebody's information up and then send them a a note of encouragement or give them a call and so i had gotten the cell phone for one of our members and i said i just wanted to let you know i'm praying for you and uh, keep me posted on things just know i'm praying for healing And I said, you know, this is Pastor Bob and all that. Well, to my response, my surprise, I received this text in response and I've placed it in my notes uh, so that I could share it with you today. And the response goes like this. Oh, that's sweet of you, Pastor Bob, but this is the wrong number. I've had this cell number for four years now and I'm still getting calls and texts all this time later. If you don't mind, I'm not sick, but my daughter was admitted into the hospital today with pan- pancreatitis, and I'm going to accept that healing prayer. Her name is Latifa. I replied, thank you so very much for this message. I am so sorry. I will be sure to correct it in our system, which I have. Yes, I will pray for Latifa right now. So I wrote a text. Here it is. Lord Jesus, please heal this precious daughter Latifa. I don't know her, but you do, and I claim your healing for her right now. Please give her strength, courage, and allow your healing presence and power to free her from this pancreatic issue. Let her feel the prayers even now. Bless her parents and those caring for her in Jesus' name. Amen. Latifah's dad replied, don't apologize, sir. God sent me a pastor the same day my, my daughter got sick. I call that a blessing. Thank you so very much. I replied, yes, sir, and this is my cell number, so feel free to let me know how I can pray. Friday night late, we were getting ready for bed, and I, my, I was getting ready to turn my phone off and plug it in for the evening, and I got this text from him, quote, I know it's late, but my daughter was supposed to be in the hospital for five days. She came out this morning, one day later, doing well. I think it was you and your prayers that did it. Just want to say that I'm so grateful that you text this wrong number yesterday. Thanks again. Now to Him, who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever possibly ask or imagine, through the power that is work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, both now and through it all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That same Jesus that shows up in the ordinary places and gives us a reminder of his presence, gives us a reminder today as we take this bread in the way that Jesus did and break it and give thanks, reminded of how he said to his disciples, take, eat as often as you meet, this do in remembrance of me. And how Jesus took the cup and blessed it and poured it out saying, This is my blood which is shed for you. This is the new covenant in my blood for the remission of your sins and the sins of many. As often as you meet together, take, drink, this do in remembrance of me.